Let's go to the Lord together in prayer. Uh, pray for Pastor Dill. He's a little bit under the weather this morning. And Pastor Pete, as he is out of town working on his PhD, and for our church family in general, as there are, unfortunately, a lot of people struggling with some issues. So let's pray. Our gracious, loving Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together as a body. Lord, to celebrate and worship our Savior, to look into your word and Father, to see the message that you have for us, to challenge and encourage and convict us where necessary. Lord, we thank you for your many blessings, and we also, Father, come to you this morning to pray for several in our church family. We pray for Pastor Dill as he's a little bit under the weather, that you'd heal him and raise him up again. We thank you for his many years of service here. Pray you'd be with our pastor as he's away working on his PhD. We pray for our church family, Father. I know that there are many who are struggling, some physically, some spiritually, some relationally, some financially. Lord, I pray that they would look to you for the wisdom and the guidance that they need in taking care of these needs. And So we ask your blessing, Lord, as we come before you this morning. We thank you for your presence here. Pray that each of us will leave having been challenged by your word. For it's in Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Church, I'd like to begin the, our time together this morning with a question. And the question is, are we losing the war? Now, doubtless you're wondering, what war am I talking about? For some of you, your first thought was probably about the war on terrorism. I know a lot of people, Christians and non-Christians alike, who are discouraged and they're scared, believing that we are definitely losing this war. The ease of using suicide bombers or Taking a car and just driving it into a crowd at a crowded tourist area makes the entire world a very vulnerable and scary place. I want to look just very briefly at some of the headlines from just the last couple of months. Suicide bombers kill at least 20 people in northeastern Nigeria. Van hits pedestrians in deadly Barcelona terror attack. Suicide attack kills seven at an Iraqi power system. North Korea fires another missile over Japan. 29 people were injured after a terrorist attack on a London train. And it just seems like the headlines go on and on and on. For others, when I asked that question, you might have thought about the spiritual war for the soul of America. And again, I would submit to us all that there are a lot of Christians who are scared and who believe that we are also losing this war. To many, it seems like there's just more bad news every day, more restrictions, more anger toward Christianity than ever before. So I want to take just a moment to look at some of the complaints, if you will, about Christianity. People say, Christians are a bunch of hypocrites. Well, just tell them, come on and join us. One more won't make any difference. No, really, don't say that to them. What about all the atrocities that Christians have committed? Well, we don't have to make excuses. Unfortunately, atrocities have been committed in the name of Christ, but it's true of every other religion, and most of the time it's just unscrupulous people taking advantage of the Christian name. Number three, they say it's a narrow-minded to say that Jesus is the only way to God. And I would submit to us all that truth is always a very narrow path, and yet that narrow path is open to everyone. Some say that being a good person is all that matters. We could ask them, 
whose definition of good is the one that we use? If you're an Islamic terrorist, you're doing a good thing when you set off one of those bombs because you're ridding the world of more infidels. The Bible is filled with errors. This is one of the most common ones that you're going to hear. Yet the truth is that science and archaeology and research continues to prove the Bible to be true in every way. Why is there suffering? If there's a God, why is there suffering? Simple, S-I-N, yours and mine. And why would a loving God send people to hell? Well, you all know John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. He goes on to say, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Verse 18, he that believes is not condemned, but he that believes not has already condemned himself because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Now, this morning, we're not going to deal directly with these objections. If you weren't able to be here with us last weekend to see the case of Christ, I would urge you to see it. It'll probably be out on either Netflix or Redbox sometime soon. And beginning next Sunday, Pastor Pete is going to do a series of messages all throughout October based around the case for Christ, as well as our life groups at 9 o'clock, 10.30, and Wednesday night at 7 are going to be doing a companion study. So if you're not already in a life group, I would encourage you to join one and then to be here for the services. But our focus this morning will be on what the Scriptures encourage us to be and to do, no matter what war we're dealing with. You see, because the truth is, it really doesn't matter which war is in our focus. The perspective that God wants you and I to have is exactly the same. This is true because we cannot always control the circumstances that the world will throw at us. But we can control how we react to those circumstances. But the truth is there are a lot of Christians who are still feeling very confused. They're they're unsure of what to do in so much turmoil and so much confusion. Like these two elderly ladies who decided to go out for a drive one Sunday afternoon. Enjoying the afternoon, enjoying conversation. The problem was both of them were short and could barely see over the dashboard. So as they were cruising down the street, they came to an intersection. The light was red. They cruised right through. The lady sitting in the passenger seat thought to herself, gee, I wonder if I'm losing it. I thought that light was red. Well, they went down the road a bit, came to another intersection. The light was red. They cruised right through. Now she's really worried. I could have sworn that light was red. I think I'm losing it. We're in danger. She said to herself, I'm going to pay particular attention to the next intersection to see what's going on. They come to the third intersection. Sure enough, the light was red. Zipped right through. She turned to the driver. Mildred, what are you doing? You just ran three red lights. You could have got us killed. She looked over and said, shoot, am I driving? We all understand the confusion, how it can affect us, and it wreaks havoc in our lives. Now, the truth is, from a human perspective, it does seem, and understand, I'm saying, from a human perspective, it does seem that everything the unbelievers say about the world is true. It doesn't seem, contrary to what Jesus says, that the meek inherit the earth. It doesn't seem that the peacemakers are blessed. It doesn't seem 
that those who mourn are comforted. And it certainly doesn't seem as though the captives are liberated, the blind see, and the poor are welcomed with good news. In fact, the opposite is true. It does seem as if the universe is run just like those who reject God say it is, by and for those who have the most power, the most money, and the most control. Notice what Timothy wrote in 2 Timothy, or Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 3. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and notice how it concludes, have nothing to do with them. Now, it is true, I will grant you, it is true that all these characteristics have been visible, if you will, or prevalent in our world down throughout history, and yet, I believe that we are on these last days. Now, whether that means that God comes back tonight or next week or in two or five years, I still believe we are living in the last days. And as you look at this and look at those news headlines, I think you simply see that every one of these characteristics are becoming more and more in our faces, if you will. You're seeing them in the headlines every single day, and we're having to deal with the after effects of what's going on. Now, unfortunately... I believe that there are many within the church who are panicking as they look to the future and see death and destruction for Christianity. Some say that the church has got to change or die. And what they mean by that is we need to get rid of those parts of our message that are most offensive to the secular culture in which we live. Others would suggest that the secularizing of America is another threat, like communism and secular humanism in the past that we should denounce this angrily. Others counsel that we should simply give up on American culture and retreat into our own little world and wait for another day. And as you look at it, unfortunately, Christian attempts at social witness have often swung wildly back and forth from chest-beating optimism to withdrawal and despair. One minute, we are reclaiming America for Christ. The next... We pronounce that American culture is slouching towards Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, diving into either one of these two extremes causes us to lose sight of a very simple fact of human history. And that is, from the Garden of Eden onward, the world has been a war zone. And that God's kingdom triumph is proven not by our electoral success or our cultural influence, but by the resurrection of the world's rightful leader. Jesus Christ. At their worst, Christian efforts at cultural and political engagement have sometimes been disastrous for the mission of the church. These attempts have often created a subculture of us versus them. This is what divides people into categories like red state and blue state instead of church and mission field. Church, I do believe that American culture is shifting into a different era. An era in which religion is not necessarily seen as a social good. Rather, it will be looked on as socially awkward at best and subversive at worst. If we look at the world that, the way the Bible looks at the world, 
We'll not try to reclaim, if you will, some lost golden age. We will rightly see an invisible conflict of two spiritual kingdoms. One, a temporary kingdom ruled by Satan and inhabited by all of his demons. The other, an eternal kingdom ruled by our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. But understand something. If we seek the kingdom of God, we will encounter the devil and his kingdom. So let's examine what the word has to say. If you want to follow along, you take out the outline that's there this morning. Number one, God's presence and strength is not just some theory. This is not a theory. Y'all are not in a test tube here. God's presence in our lives and in our world and the strength that he provides to us is not just some theory. I submit to us all that it is reality for every single believer who chooses to listen to his word and who chooses to obey. That's a choice you and I have to make. God could, but will not force it upon us. And if we want to know the presence of God, if we want to know the power of his word, first of all, we have to choose to listen to that word, and then we have to choose to obey. Let's look at a couple of scriptures. Leviticus 20, verses 7 and 8, Moses wrote, Consecrate yourselves and be holy. Separate yourselves from the world. Though we live in the world, we don't have to be part of the world. He says, because I am the Lord your God. Keep my decrees and follow them. I am the Lord who make you holy. I'm the one who make you holy. I'm the one who sets you apart. Deuteronomy 4.29. But if from there you seek the Lord your God, wherever you are, if from that point you seek the Lord your God, notice, you will find him if you look for him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. It's a choice and a decision I make whether or not I want to find God, if you will. In 1 Samuel 12, Samuel wrote, But be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you. Throughout the Old Testament, the message is, guys, consider the great things that God has done for you. And then James chapter 1, verse 22, James encourages you and I to be doers of the word and not hearers only. It's great that you read the Bible. It's great that we spend time fellowshipping. It's great that you spend time in your life group. But we have to apply those words. We have to apply those truths. We have to apply those principles in our lives if it's going to impact us and change us. Number two, this will always be a challenge. Make no mistake about it. For you, for me, every one of us, this will always be a challenge as Satan uses every weapon he has. Every single weapon that he possesses. And that's, that's a lot. To distract and discourage us, you and I, into disobedience. Satan is going to use every single weapon that he has to distract and discourage you and I into disobedience. Because when that happens, he wins. When that happens, our lives do not have the impact that God desires and designed for them to have. Satan is vicious. He'll use everything. Notice. 1 Peter 5.8, God warns us, be careful. Watch out for the attacks from the devil, your great enemy. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for some victim to devour. He's not just devouring those that he comes upon, if you will, haphazardly. He's actually, he's looking for someone to devour. And then this passage in John chapter 8 really nails it on the head, if you would. 
Jesus is talking to the group. He says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. And look, when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. When he lies, he's just doing what comes natural to him. And he makes it seem so logical. He makes it seem so appealing. He makes it seem so right. And every one of those lies that we fall for just draws us deeper and deeper into his web of deception. So, how do we fight back? How do we fight against these powerful spiritual beings that we cannot see nor touch? Well, maybe you and I cannot see or touch them, but our God can. And though these beings are very powerful, they're absolutely no match for our God. Now, the the text really I've chosen for this morning in 2 Peter, God gives us a very special promise that we're going to look at in just a moment. Before we do, I want to share with you, in most New Testament letters, the basic theme of the letter is very quickly revealed. In Peter's second letter to the church, the theme is, the Greek word is epikonosis, the knowledge of God. In this very short letter, there are a total of 11 occurrences of the word epikonosis or some related term talking about and stressing that the knowledge of God is the central theme. The knowledge of God is the most important thing for you and I. In the Old Testament, Jeremiah chapter 9, the prophet put it this way. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast above his wisdom, or the strong man boast of his strength, or the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. God wants us to boast in our knowledge of him, in our relationship with him. And so God challenges us in this passage we're going to look at in just a moment. God challenges you and I to take full advantage of the power of the Holy Spirit in us. And you're going to see that God says, that it's that power of the Holy Spirit in you and I that makes it possible for us to participate in his divine nature. You and I, earthly human beings, sinners, rotten to the core, God's special promise makes it easy, makes it possible for you and I to participate in his divine nature. Look at it with me. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Now, as we share this worship experience this morning, please remember... That if you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, believing that his death on the cross at Calvary paid the price for your sins, then at the moment that you trusted him, whether, and I've shared this before, my wife was about five and a half years old. I was 16. 
I know there are many in our church family who were well into their adult years when they trusted Christ as Savior. But at whatever point in time that occurred for you, at that moment, a lot of wonderful things happened. But one of the most important was at that moment, you were permanently sealed and indwelt by God the Holy Spirit. God came to live inside of you. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus told the people there, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power. Not you might, not you will if, with a bunch of conditions, when you receive the Holy Spirit, you will be filled with power. Now, look at this passage again and what Peter tells us. His power has given you and I what? I can't hear you. God's power, the power that resides in you and me and every other believer, that power has given us everything that we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him. In other words, God's divine power, brothers and sisters, supplies every believer with everything we need for spiritual vitality and godly living through our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 4, the Greek verb translated has given means to bestow or endow. Now, the word that's used here in this passage is not the, the usual Greek word to give. The word used here carries with it the idea of the tremendous worth of this gift that God is bestowing here in this particular passage. The word participate is literally to become partners And because we are partakers of God's nature, every single one of us, you and I, regardless of your age, regardless of your background, regardless of how you may view your level of spiritual maturity, every single one of us can share in his moral victory over sin in this life. Because of the power of God the Holy Spirit in you and I, we can have power over sin in our lives, even while we still remain, unfortunately, in the presence of sin. Because it's not about you or I. Now, some of you might be thinking, you know, Pastor, this sounds really great. It sounds really great, but you don't know about me. I don't feel this. I don't feel that God is in my life. I don't feel that God is strengthening me. And I continue to struggle every single day. Please trust me. I do understand. I've been there. But I want you to understand the truth. It's not about what we feel or don't feel. It's all about who God is. It's all about what God has already done when he died on that cross at Calvary. And it's all about what God continues to do in our lives every single day. Number four, based on this promise, what promise? God's divine power has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. All right, based on that promise, he challenges us. You and I, every single one of us, God challenges us to practice and to develop the characteristics of his divine nature. Now, all of us would kind of rather that God would just kind of, you know, maybe screw off the top of our head, dump it all in and put it all back on, shake us up and, Everything would be hunky-dory. But it doesn't work that way. God challenges us. We have to practice. We have to develop the characteristics of this nature. Notice. So make every effort then 
to apply the benefits of these promises to your life. Then your faith will produce a life of moral excellence. And a life of moral excellence leads to knowing God better. The words here in the Greek that are translated make every effort translate a participle. And I'll, as I share this with you, I'll be honest, English grammar is not my best subject. But the, the words here in the original translate a participle. One that, first of all, means to bring something alongside of. And another one that means with all diligence or with all zeal. Now the truth is, church, it's going to take every bit of our diligence and our effort, along with the enabling power of the Holy Spirit, to escape the corruption in this world caused by evil desires. We have to work hard at cultivating a faith to complement these virtues. As we do, God guarantees that we will become more like Jesus participating more fully in God's divine nature. Now, the truth of the matter is, our new birth in Christ, the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, does not eliminate, nor does it put a type of governor on our free will choices. Sanctification, progressive sanctification, is a work of God in which you and I have got to cooperate and participate. Philippians 2.12, Paul encourages the church to work out their salvation. Not work for, work out. It's something that we have to participate in. It is by faith, make no mistake about it, it is by faith that you and I are saved through God's grace, undeserved mercy or favor. But God intends that we do good works in order that we continue to grow in this relationship with him. In verse 6, he says, knowing God leads to self-control. Self-control leads to patient endurance, and patient endurance leads to godliness. Self-control, for you and I, I want to share with you, is a double-sided coin. On the one side is the choice that you and I make to allow God to be in control. The other side is God working in our lives and directing that obedience. Notice, following Self-control is patient endurance. This virtue simply views time through the eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ while we wait for his return. It's the ability that God gives us to continue on in our faith, to resist the pressure of the world system that we live in, to resist the fact that, again, the enemy is going to throw everything that he possibly can at us, to separate us, to discourage us, to get us distracted. Verse 7, godliness leads to love for other Christians. And finally, you will grow to have genuine love for everyone. Now, I know the world around us is not very lovable. And I know that there are a lot of people that you come in contact with. They might be your next-door neighbor. I've heard a few stories from particularly a friend of my wife's about some nasty confrontations that came out during the hurricane between neighbors. This is not a very lovable world. And yet God says that godliness leads to love for other Christians and finally will grow to have genuine love for everyone. 1 John 4, the Bible says that God is love. God brings love to life. He defines it so that you and I can see it in him. We can embrace it. And ultimately, we can give it out. Remember, Romans 5, 8, God directed his love to you and I. To everyone in this world, God directed his love to us that while we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us. If you're here this morning and you are not absolutely certain of your relationship with Jesus Christ, let me stress to you, God knows you and he loves you. He knows that you're a sinner. Romans 3 says, everyone, please understand, everyone is sin and come short of the glory of God. In Romans 6, he says that the result of that sin is we will stay separated from God for all eternity unless we have the good sense to reach out and accept the gift. That gift is Jesus. God directed his love to us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God doesn't say, clean up your life, join the church, pay this, do this, and then come see me. He says, come as you are. I'll help you to change. Remember, when we trust Christ as Savior, a lot of wonderful things happen, and one of them is the indwelling presence of God, the Holy Spirit. And Jesus told the people, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be filled with power. It's that power that enables you and I participating in God's divine nature. It's that power that enables us to escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. As we develop and use these godly characteristics, I guarantee you, church, we will win. As we use and develop these godly characteristics, we will win. Greater is he that is in us, God the Holy Spirit, than he that is in the world. In verse 8, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the Bible is replete with passages about our winning. With God, we will gain the victory, and he will trample down our enemies. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. September 14th of this year, the Daily Bread had this thought at the bottom of it. God gives us the power and privilege to enjoy the rewards of doing things his way. God gives us the power and the privilege to enjoy the rewards of doing things his way. That's what it's all about. I've shared with you people in my office increasing the last few years as some counselor them asked me, Pastor, doesn't God want me to be happy? Oh, yes, God wants you to be happy. But you need to understand something clearly. God defines happiness very differently than the world does. His divine power, God's divine power, the power that created the universe, His divine power has given us, what's that next word, church? God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. And it's through that that God allows us to participate in his divine nature and escape the corruption of the world. You see, church, the truth is, when we choose to study God's word and then make every effort to obey that word, we win. When you choose to get involved in some area of ministry here at the bridge, God's ministry, you impact people's lives for now and for eternity. And we win. If you choose to join a life group and you do life with other Christians and through that grow in your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, we win. When you give to the Bridge Church, you enable this ministry to continue to spread the gospel in our community. 
You enable this ministry to continue to make disciples throughout all areas of our ministry, our children's ministry and our teens and our men's ministry and our women's ministry, and we win. When you give to our missions program, you enable and empower our missionaries to continue to share the gospel in their communities and then to disciple those who come to know Jesus Christ as Savior, and we win. And when you choose to obey God, and God the Holy Spirit produces his fruit in you, then you'll experience true joy and true peace and have the patience and self-control to model Jesus wherever you go, and we win.